taken from Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, page 1182 in the Church Bible. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will, through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. It's taken from Luke chapter 10. It can be found on page 1041. That's 1041, Luke chapter 10. Excuse me. (coughs) And it's chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, and he said, Who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. 
a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too did a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is all. Father, may my words bring something of the word of the Lord to us all. May my speaking be in accordance with all that you would say and our hearing, willing and eager to accept it. For Jesus Christ's sake, Amen. This is one of the most famous parables. We know this story of old that Jesus tells about the man who's set upon by robbers and left bleeding and dying on the side of the road. The religious leader comes along, a fellow countryman comes along, but they ignore him and he is rescued by this Samaritan. Commonly this story is known as uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's even, I note, in that little heading which you should never read, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Well done, Diane, for not reading it out. Yes, well done. Is that a near escape? <laughs> we should never read those little things because they're not always right. They skew it. Jesus never called him a good Samaritan. He just called him a Samaritan. It's us who call him the good Samaritan because, I think, we like to think of ourselves as the good Samaritan. We're like him, doing good to anyone we find in need. Indeed, Jesus says, go and do likewise. And we think of ourselves as taking those words and putting them into practice as a Christian uh, person in the world. Doing good to anyone in need. Well, when I do a funeral service, a funeral visit before the service, do you know, sometimes, quite often, I get, oh, what a wonderful person they were. They would do anything for anybody. And then I know they're not telling the truth. Because it's not what Jesus says. He simply tells the story about a Samaritan. And Jesus tells this story in response to the question that's put to him by someone who does really know what it's like to be good. Or at least he knows what it means to be good. He was an expert in the law. But it was a question that was not about a way of life. It was a question about the way to life. 
the expert of the law in verse 25, stands up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, what must I do to get what I haven't got? And what he hasn't got is eternal life. And Jesus, in his answer, shows that he and the expert of the law are in complete agreement with what to do. He meets the expert of the law in verse 26 on his home turf. What is written in the law? How do you read it, says Jesus? And the answer in the next verse comes with this classic, simple summary. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says in verse 28, that's it. That's the right answer. Do this and you will live. Now there are times when you're in a hole that you should stop digging. We have a saying in our house, if you don't want the answer, don't ask the question. What are you going to have for dinner tonight? What do you want for dinner tonight? Oh, sausage and mash. Well, we don't have any sausages. <laughs> eggs then, no eggs. Well, what have you got? Pasta. That's how it goes in my house. <laughs> I've, dis I've discovered when you're on a long... This is chaps. I've discovered when you're on a long drive, right, and my wife says, shall we stop for coffee? The answer is not No. Have you discovered that? It took me years. <laughs> so this expert of the law, not realizing that he's in the hole, thinking that he'd got it all worked out, says to Jesus, who is my neighbor? And he gets himself into deep trouble. Because the way Jesus answers the question is multi-many-layered. There's all sorts of things going on in his answer, and it brings challenges, challenges that we might see uh, we would want for ourselves to face up to if we're going to truly live in the Christian life. The first thing is that we might come to see the challenge is to show love. See, at the time, Samaritans weren't uh, very popular we know that. They're not liked by the Jews. In fact, they are hated by the Jews. If a Samaritan could be considered a neighbor, then anybody could be considered a neighbor. I might have to do good and show love to everybody. Because the real issue is not how to treat your neighbor. It's knowing who the neighbor is and who isn't. Who should I go do good to? And the story of the Samaritan is that the one who defined neighborliness is the one who did what he did. Jesus says at the end, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man? And the expert replies, it's the one who had mercy. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. And of course, the problem in the story is that the one who had mercy is the hated one. 
do likewise. If you're married, do likewise. Show love for each other even when things aren't going very well. When you're not sure you're like each other, do likewise. Show love. If you're a child and your mum and dad are bleating on about the homework or getting the bedroom tidy, I mean, my daughters are 28 and 24, I'm still bleating on about the state of the bedroom. <laughs> do likewise. Do likewise when the next door neighbor puts up a six foot fence between you and shuts out the light. Have mercy. Don't go next door and have a fight. It's a hard thing, isn't it? To go and put the moral of this story into practice. To treat everyone as a neighbor, even the people we don't like or even are afraid of. What would it take for someone to say of us, oh, they would do anything, anything for anybody? It would take a lot of softening of my heart, I know, and probably yours too. See, in the end, we know that that's the good thing. In the end, that's actually what we want for ourselves. That's our prayer, to be so good-natured, to have such a blessed life of goodness that we are able to do good to anybody, to have such compassion for others that we would take care of their needs without counting the cost. But somehow, something gets in the way. the hardness of our own heart, our own fears. That's the first challenge, to show love. But then there's a second, deeper challenge, and that's to receive love. That might sound a strange thing, but to understand it, we need to see who asked the question. It was an expert of the law in verse 25. An expert, the law, that was the Jewish religious code that they had to live by in order to be accepted by God into heaven. There were lots of rules. To be an expert means you had spent your life being steeped in those rules, keeping those rules. There was one for every day of the year and quite a few left over, as it happens. You had to understand it. And you had to put it into practice to be a true Jew, a Jew racially, a Jew religiously, a Jew patriotically. It's part of the problem of the current, uh, this is an aside, but it's part of the problem of the current anti-Semitism issues being leveled at the Labour Party, is that it conflates racial, political, uh, nationalism all into one thing. And nobody's quite sure what we're talking about when we level it. Is it about Jews racially? Is it about Jews politically? Is it about Jews nationally and so on? But all of these things were wrapped up in those days in the law. And at the time of Jesus teaching this parable, who was a neighbor to the Jews was a matter of intense debate. They talked about it all the time. And most of them agreed 
that the term included a fellow countryman or a convert. They were neighbors. If you were a Jewish person living in Israel or you converted to it, then you were a neighbor. That was fine. Some argued that if you had a personal enemy, then that didn't count. And others taught that you had to push heretics and informers and renegades into the ditch and not pull them out. Well, the Pharisees used to exclude anybody else who wasn't a Pharisee. So if you weren't a Pharisee, and I was a Pharisee, then you weren't a neighbor. That was quite good. And then Samaritans, well, they definitely were not neighbors to anybody. They were hated by the Jews because they were racially impure. They were mixed blood. They were religiously in error. They believed the wrong things. There was a saying that a piece of bread given by a Samaritan is more unclean than swine's flesh. And you know that the Jews did not eat the pig. So the problem of the story is that Jesus places the Jewish man in the ditch. He's the one pushed into the ditch, not the heretic or the hated one. So you've got a Jewish man in the ditch, he happened upon this misfortune of being accosted and beaten up, robbed and stripped naked and left for dead. And it's the Jew who is in need of help. But in the story, it's not the priest and not the Levite, the fellow countryman who brings help. It's the Samaritan. Verse 33, but the Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he binds up his wounds, and he goes out of his way to help. He takes time from his journey, and he pays the complete price for him to be made well, whatever the cost. And that's a hard thing to receive for the Jew. How galling it is when the enemy shows love. My daughter, when she was very young, was naughty one day. So I sat on the stairs and I put her over my knee and I rubbed her backside. And she got up and she said, didn't hurt? I said, it wasn't meant to. And she burst into tears. It was a moment for me that showed how, <laughs> so how when the enemy doesn't do what the enemy's meant to do, there's a guest come in, if somebody could uh, see them. Or they might just be passing through, I don't know. Oh, there's more. Um, I'm lost now. How? When an enemy doesn't do, shows compassion rather than vengeance. It's a breaking of the heart. How humiliating even to receive it. Because you'd have been honored to receive it from the priest, grateful to receive it from the Levite, but to receive it from the, from the uh, Samaritan puts you in a dilemma. To refuse help means you will die. To accept help, you will have to swallow all your pride and your prejudice, and humble yourself. 
the issue really comes down to the fact that we men find it so hard to stop the car and ask someone for directions. Why is that so hard for us? To be humble enough to let others to help us. See, when you know who you will accept neighbor help from, you know who to be a neighbor to. And you will receive love from them. That's the challenge. Would that not be our prayer? To be humble enough to receive love, to let others love us, that we could overcome the hardness of our heart and our pride and our hatred and allow ourselves to be loved. And then there's the third challenge, which is to submit to God's love. It's the greatest challenge because the expert of the law wanted to justify himself. He wanted to prove his innocence. Tell me I've done all right, he says. But Jesus doesn't tell him he's done all right. He doesn't give him that option. He says, go and do likewise. And anyone who knows anything about the law knows we can't do it. We can't keep the law all the time. We fail at showing and receiving God's love. See, this story is really telling us that we can't do anything to receive eternal life. We can't justify ourselves. There's nothing we can do that makes us good enough for God's heaven. What must I do to inherit eternal life is the wrong question. The question is, what must I be? And the answer is, be forgiven. The way of life, the way to life, is through God's forgiveness. And if you can't, can be forgiven by God, then you have the chance of being someone who can truly begin to show God's love to others or even receive it from them. The story really means that you and me are really that man in the ditch. We're not the good Samaritan at all. We are the one in the ditch, helpless and destined to die. It's Jesus who is the good Samaritan. He's the good Samaritan to us. The one who's good enough for heaven and comes from heaven to bind up our wounds, to pay the cost of saving us. Every last thing he gives for us that we might be saved. It's Jesus who justifies us. And surely, isn't it, that's why we're here. Because that's the message we received long ago, and return here week by week to celebrate, to remind ourselves of, to live out of that truth. That we are submitted to God's love because only God's love gives us hope. It's the challenge every day. 
to acknowledge our need, to submit to this truth, and to celebrate that Jesus is our good Samaritan. Amen.